Um, if you want to be recruited, if you want to take a step towards being recruited, you have to um, either be around uh, Division One players or Division One coaches or Division Two players or Division Two coaches or Division Three players, Division Three coaches on a somewhat regular basis, and or people who are connected, uh, really connected to those coaches. Making an athlete. A show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. I'm Ty Davis, and on this episode of Making an Athlete, we talk to Michael Plank, current recruiting coordinator for the Washington State Division I men's basketball team. Recruited out of high school as a football player, he went on to play both football and basketball at the collegiate level. His coaching experience extends from top national AAU basketball teams, junior college basketball teams, including City College of San Francisco and Casper College, Division III Willamette and Division I Portland State, NBA training camps, and as a coach for the Costa Rican national basketball team. On this podcast, we discuss the differences in Division I, II, and III collegiate athletics and the importance of putting yourself in the best position to gain visibility from visiting coaches. Mike Plank, I appreciate you joining me today on the Making an Athlete podcast. Um, first off, let's just uh, start off who you are, uh, what you do, and uh, let's let's talk about your sport history, where you started as a, as a kid. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ty. I appreciate you having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Plank. I'm from Stockton, California. Uh, my current role is recruiting coordinator for the men's basketball team at Washington State University. Uh, we just finished our first season. Um, so just, uh, just finishing that up, working through this summer and, uh, all the things happening now in society and, uh, trying to figure out how to get back into the swing of things. Uh, we're actually going to try to report to campus, um, next week, start getting our guys back on campus and, and try and get going with some summer workouts. And, uh, you know, the priority is just getting everybody back and safe and healthy and, and, and settled in and then kind of working out from there. So we'll uh, we'll see how it shakes out, but excited to get back going. That's awesome. So what what are uh, I mean, with everything going on right now, you know, we're recording this this podcast in an unusual time with with COVID. That's kind of out of the or or the past ordinary of you know what it would be like for you guys getting your camp started, which would just be everything that we've known as normal. What is you know what is it different? How you guys are approaching it this time? Um, you know you talk about safety and everything that's going on. How's that function with doing a camp? Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing is probably there's a seven day quarantine on our campus for any, all our student athletes when they come back. Um, if you're domestic, so if you're from the U S if you're from, uh, coming international, which we have quite a few guys that are, there's a 14 day quarantine. Um, and then there's a COVID test and then there's your physical. So before you can actually step, uh, in the facility and, and do anything physical, you got to get through all that. It's going to be, you know, 10 to 14 days for domestic guys and probably 18 to 20 for international guys. So a lot different than years past. Um, just, you know, like I said, number one thing is just safety of, of, of our players and safety of our staff, and all the people involved in athletics. All right. Well, let's, uh, Let's take a, a big step back and let's start with, you know, how you, you got to where you are today. You know, going back to the youth sport age, how did you get into basketball? And, 
Um, a big question to always ask on this podcast. In addition to that is, did you play any other sports as well? Or was it always basketball? So yeah. start, tell me about your youth, uh, you know, playing sports as a, as a kid. Yeah, no, it's, I, you know, I saw the questions earlier and made me kind of think back a little bit. It all started um, actually with baseball growing up in Stockton, California, um, just playing little league baseball. It was the first sport I played. Uh, dad was my coach and uh, for a few years and just loved it, you know, loved, loved playing, loved competing. Um, and then I got into basketball probably right around fourth grade. Um, I went to a, a school, played CYO basketball. And uh, I love that as well. Um, and so played baseball up until uh, I played like two years, three years in high school. Um, obviously played uh, basketball in high school. And then I played one year of Pop Warner football and uh, wasn't very good. I wore number 39. We were blue and orange and I'd be the dude with like green, uh, like pajamas on underneath his, his, his uniform. So, uh, you know, I wasn't very good. Um, and then I decided to play in high school Had a, some really good coaches and, um, actually ended up being the quarterback and, and getting recruited for football, um, out of high school, uh, played a year at track. So essentially did four sports in high school. Oh, wow. Did two sports growing up consistently, three, if you count football. Um, and so, uh, you know, the process was, was for me getting into sports was just playing as a youth and having uh, parents that got me involved. Uh, probably the thing that got me into football the most was uh, my mom was a high school teacher at Franklin High School in Stockton. And um, they had some really, really good football teams, um, you know, back in the, the early 90s and the late 90s. They actually, I think, hold the longest losing streak in the state of California also. Um, but they turned it around. They got a good coach um, and some really good players. And um, I was able to uh, – I was a ball boy on that team. So I got to, like, ride the bus with those guys to, uh, to away games. I was on the field during home games, and I was there. I was part of the team. And you know, thinking back to your question, I, I, there's no chance I have the path I have unless I have that experience of my mom allowing me and um, having me be a part of a, of a team. I was probably in like, you know, fifth, sixth grade at the time, and I was a ball boy. And I, I mean, I loved it. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what an experience for a fifth or sixth grade. I mean, you get to be with all the, you know, the, at that time, like the high schools are the big guys. They're like, everything's fast paced and. Yeah. Uh, it leaves an impact on you just in like, this is amazing. Like I want yeah. to be a part of this. Yeah. I mean, there were some NBA guy, or uh, NFL guys on the team and, um, and I mean, it was just a, they were really, I mean, they went 10 and 0 um, and then got, um, got dinged for illegal recruiting <laughs> and weren't allowed to go to the playoffs. And it was a whole deal. And it was really unfortunate because, you know, there was a good chance they would have been state champions and in the city of, or the state of California, that's a huge deal. Yeah. So that was an awesome experience and really kind of doing that in football and basketball as a ball boy really made me, I saw, you know, the guys were cool, you know, they were tough. Uh, and I, seeing that like really made me want to strive to, to be a high school athlete and, and kind of be one of those guys. Yeah. So 
you're a high school athlete. Um, you're playing all these sports. How, how do you decide, you know, basketball's basketball's a route that I want to go? Is it, I mean, it's a, I'll let you answer this before I try to put, you know, words in your mouth. <laughs> I, you know, I just always loved hoop, man. Hoop was probably the most accessible for me. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, uh, a natural hoop at my house that my dad put in. There was an elementary school around the corner. So in terms of like accessibility, I could, I didn't need anybody else. I didn't need, um, you know, a, a teammate or a team or a, uh, a pitcher or uh, somebody else to catch the football. I could just go hoop on my own and the neighborhood kids and my friends, that's what we'd go do. And yeah. I'd go do it on my own or sit outside. So basketball ended up kind of being the, the favorite as I grew up and to look at uh, myself and other guys, and, you know, we'd have Cal, you know, we'd have, we'd have Utah, SC would come. Huh. San Diego State, some big programs would, would come in. Fresno State was really good. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to like one of these spots that these pass guys went to. I'm right. leading the area of, in passing touchdowns, yards. We have a good team. I'm thinking this is it. And then uh, a guy by the name of Mark Speckman, who's now actually the offensive coordinator at uh, UC Davis, um, was the head coach at Willamette University. And uh, one of the D1 guys that had came mentioned to him, there's a couple guys you need to check out. And so he came to to the school to talk to me. And I remember uh, the security guard came up to get me and said, hey, yeah, there's a coach from Willamette. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> what division are they? And he was like, it's division three. I said, there's no chance. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, you know, all I knew was D1. All we knew was D1. Um, my mom worked at the school and she actually had a radio and she got on the radio and said some choice words about me getting down to that office right now. Uh, <laughs> so kind of a funny story. It was I, me and my running back, Tim Brown. He ended up going to Temple in the Big East at the time. Yeah. Um, we get down to the office and Coach Speckman's uh, waiting in the office with our principal and my mom and uh, one of the coaches is in there. and uh, I don't know if you know who Mark Speckman is, but he was born without hands. Okay, kinda, I didn't know that. Kind of got nubs, and he's okay. a uh, all-American linebacker at Azusa Pacific, motivational speaker, good, you know, really good player and a really good coach in person. And so I thought, okay, this is a joke. Division three, there's a guy in here with no hands that's trying to recruit me for football. Uh, like I didn't think it was real and he ended up talking and uh, it appealed to me, but it really appealed to my mom ah. and game set match. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll I, talk about that a little bit. I mean, as it, like, you know, you're at that age and if, I mean, if you can remember back, like obviously like a lot of, we have a combo of listeners, someone that's that young athlete coming through and then you have a lot of parents on here trying to understand that process. Um, and you gotta, there's the balance of, you know, what a 17 or 18 year old is trying to make a life decision while having that guidance of a parent. What was, what was that process like with your mom when you had this conversation and, and how did she approach that with you? Yeah. You know, that's a good, good question. She had been a small part of some of the other guys that have gone through Franklin's journey to college. So she already had like a base knowledge, which I would say by and large, most parents don't. And it makes right. things really difficult to kind of understand and comprehend uh, 
um, because everybody has opinions and not everybody knows, so it can be challenging to navigate. Um, so I was fortunate that she had that base knowledge, um, but more so we kind of, um, being affiliated at a, at a high school that had sent guys to college before um, and had a reputation was a huge advantage over if I went to, you know, you're from, you've been in Stockton. If I went to a stag or right. even an Edison, our rival, I probably shouldn't use them, but I will. Um, you know, it just, it's a huge advantage because coaches know about it and they come through. Um, so there's already a platform of understanding of, okay, this program puts out college players. Um, and so I always tell parents when they ask and football and basketball are a little bit different. We can talk about basketball as well, but um, if you want to be recruited, if you want to take a step towards being recruited, you have to um, either be around uh, division one players or division one coaches or division two players or division two coaches or division three players, division three coaches on a somewhat regular basis mm -hmm. and, or people who are connected, uh, really connected to those coaches because a lot of people, you know, kind of think they are or say they are, and maybe that's not always the case, but somebody that's respected. Um, and so that's probably the best piece of advice I got is just be around you know, other players of that caliber, because if you're around that level of players, there's going to be coaches coming through. And if there's coaches coming through, there's opportunities to be seen like I was. I was seen by a Division One coach who called a Division Three coach and said, hey, you might want to check this guy out. And that's how it happened. Um, more so for my teammates. It wasn't necessary for me, but they're coming in to see my teammates. They see the film and, you know, there's a connection there. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'd second that too, because, you know, the, the, the thing that happened for me is I, I was, you know, I grew up in Marysville, California, you know, not a lot of athletes or yeah. even college, college worthy athletes come out of that town. And it was the last game of the season for baseball that, um, an Oriole scout was there watching somebody else. Yeah. Um, and I, the guy who he was watching was a phenomenal player. Um, and last game of my high school career, I had decided to go at that time uh, uh, on a very, very, very small scholarship to a school in Oklahoma, an NAIA school. And he came up and as I'm getting my car, I said, Hey, I want to talk to you. You know, I saw you in the outfield. Um, and I saw your arm out there. I think you should be a pitcher. And I told him what my plan was. And he said, I want you to consider California JUCOs, you know, California JUCO baseball is, it's a very high level. Um, and then ultimately that, changed, you know, my path. And I went to Juco and, you know, rest is history. But point yeah. being is like you said, is like, he was there to see somebody else. He wasn't yeah. there to see me, but he came by and he said, Hey, I see, you know, projection and you, which I mean, I, I'll always admit in high school, I was as average as it, as it gets, you know, I was 17 year old graduate. It was that Juco that, you know, I jumped up three inches and gained 30 pounds. And then I gained velo on my fastball. And he saw that but it all rooted because he was there to watch a dude throwing 95. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, that you, you hit it spot on, you know, with, with what you're saying there. Um, and, and, you know, back to what, you know, the question and what you're talking about here. So you, um, your mom's in there, she's helping you, you know, make that decision. She has that base knowledge. Um, was it kind of a, all like, that was it. You had that meeting and it's just like, this is where you're going or was there yeah. any more debate after that? You know what? It 
she actually gave me a choice and the choice was you either get majority of your school paid for or you're going to the military. <laughs> so um, at that time there was other schools talking, but you know, St. Mary's had came in and mm. they were serious, but it, it just ended up being a situation where, you know, the division three model, um, you know, works, there's no athletic scholarships. It's all need based and it's all um, uh, merit based. And so I was in uh, the International Baccalaureate Program, which is, you know, like AP essentially at a lot of schools and decent grades and applied. And I ended up getting um, um, quite a bit of money to go to school there because of my grades and because of my need. Okay. Uh, and so uh, it was pretty close to a full ride. Awesome. Um, and so really, really fortunate for that. But when it came down to it, you know, the conversation was, okay, you know, you have this option or you have the Marines. I mean, I went and took the test to, to do it. I was talking to a recruiter. She was yeah. dropping me off at the office. And this was right around the time we were entering um, a country called Iraq. And yeah. I, I just, I really like sports and obviously really respect uh, men and women who serve in the military, but that wasn't really the path that I um, saw for myself. Right. Um, and, you know, I would have done it if I needed to for sure. But I, I definitely loved athletics and sports and saw that as a way for me to, to get to college. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, as an athlete and in high school and you have the opportunity to, to continue playing, like, you know, it, that's a, like a cool thing just to have that choice. Obviously, like you said, military, great choice as well. But like to keep playing sports and do something you're passionate about, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going just because, you know, you brought it up and this is um, a good conversation to have here um, is, you know, we've, we've heard from some D2 and D1 uh, coaches on this podcast. And I want to talk a little bit about that D3 aspect that you just talked about, which is, um, you know, merit and need-based scholarship, because a lot of times there's, even if it's D1, the understanding of how many scholarships are available, depending on the sport, how that gets divvied up. Um, you know, what I, what I, I had gotten, um, a full ride, um, in baseball, my junior year, which was, you know, extraordinary, but the deal that we made was that my senior year, I would be academic based, um, which equated to like 30, 30%. Um, and so it's that understanding of, you know, in D3, there's not athletic scholarships available, but that doesn't mean like you won't get school paid for. Um, so if you want to talk a little bit. Just, I know you kind of mentioned it, but if there's any more details around what what someone can expect when they're approached yeah. by a D3. Yeah, a couple of things with the D3 model. One, there is, um, God, I know the numbers, but there is way more Division threes than any other division in college athletics, which means there's more opportunities there. And uh, I turned my nose up at it for sure because I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. Um, but once I, you know, did my research and, experienced it. I mean, it, a lot of times they're smaller colleges. A lot of times they're um, good academic schools. Um, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's a really, really good option for majority of student athletes. I mean, such a small percentage that can play at the level I'm at now and, and even the division one level, uh, and the division two level. And so, you know, I would encourage people to look at that model of division three, um, for sure, because it's an opportunity to play. Um, and it's, you know, it's an opportunity where, uh, you know, you can, 
you can you can leave a division three with a very good degree mm-hmm. uh, and very good relationships, and they're probably going to be a little bit more meaningful. Now the classes right. at division three, I mean, there's classes of twelve up to thirty maybe at the most. Um, you know, so you know the way it works is obviously the need based money is based off of your um, uh, your what your family has or what they make in terms of assets, the, the FAFSA, which you fill out, spits you out a number um, called your EFC your expected family contribution. And that number um, goes into what the school costs. So if your expected family contribution is $20,000 and the school costs $40,000, then you have a need of $20,000 and you're mm-hmm. expected to pay your expected family contribution of $20,000. Um, which is, you know, tough for some people. Some right. are prepared, some aren't prepared. Um, there's always the option of taking out a student loan to cover that amount also. Um, you know, my wife did that. She went to USF, uh, University of San Francisco, on a um, uh, to nursing school, and okay. she took out 100% of loans um, to be a nurse. And so that's always an option. Um, the other part of it is, so you have the expected family contribution and then the need. Uh, the other part of it that can cushion that expected family contribution a little bit is uh, merit-based. So based on your GPA and based on your test score, you could be eligible for a certain amount of money. I had probably about a three, uh, six-ish in high school and um, a little over a 1000 on the SAT. That qualified me for about $11,000 in merit-based money. Okay. And just so for... All the people listening now, SAT when me and you were taking it was a little bit different than <laughs> the scores now. Because I think if you say our scores now, I think that's yeah. higher. And, um, I forget. I, I probably should research the new scale. But when you're saying that, as a side note, different scale hey, for us. Two part math and verbal is what you're going to look at, even on the yeah. three part now. I, th- uh, I think it may have gone back to two part, but. It, it changed. Oh. So yeah, two, two part math and verbal thousand. Just okay. I took it three times. Okay. I didn't get that score to, to start. You know, I, uh, I had to prepare and, um, and, and work up to that. But, uh, you know, my final score ended up being, you know, a little bit over a thousand, which was right. decent. Yeah, um, that's good. So, so that, that, um, you know, that was able to get me some more money, um, which lowered kind of what would be expected to pay out of pocket and, um, you know, Willamette was very generous to me and my family and, um, you know, they figure out a way to make it work to where most of it was covered. Now that's probably not going to be the case for everybody. Right. You probably are going to have to pay something out of pocket. Um, but I, I would, at most division three schools, I would almost say there's going to be a high return on investment, whatever it is, because of small class sizes, because mm-hmm. of the opportunity to really, really play. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to really play. Had I gone to, you know, another school, Division One, Division Two, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Right. And but the thing, opportunity was great. And that's a and what, I mean, the point you just said is, is a date, not a debate, but it's a conversation piece. We have a lot of time with a lot of the coaches on here and and or previous athletes. It's like, okay, you have those choices of, you know, a D one, D two, D three, or even. Uh, on one of the the, pre, uh, the the most recent podcasts, it was talking um, down to the scale of conference. It, they, they had the choice of Division One, but it was like, okay, which conference is the higher competition conference, and where do I have an 
opportunity to play. And that's not saying, Hey, you know, you're not going in there and saying like, I'm going to work hard to like be the best of all the best. Like, yeah, do that. If you think that you have that, but it's also, you know, you, you don't want to commit somewhere and you're on the team, but you, you don't play for four years. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're going to play a sport and academics. Um, but you want to pick the best opportunity for you to enjoy that actual playing time. And yeah. you do not know that right away when you go into school. I mean, that's why a lot of people transfer. No, uh, often. I, I was in that boat. I, I mean, I wanted to even at division three. So, you know, just to put in perspective, how hard it is, it's, you know, I'm in high school and being recruited football division ones, Pac-12, Mountain West, you know, you name it, um, ends up going to a division three. And, uh, you know, I'm the third string quarterback. There's six and I end up being the third string quarterback, which isn't a lot of playing time and ultimately red shirting. And, uh, I mean, you talk about like bursting your bubble, uh, you know, uh, it was hard and that's just how hard it is. And division three is really good. Division two is really good. And obviously division one is, is the highest level, but, uh, you know, I wanted to transfer. I, I thought, man, I should be playing. This is crap. And, you know, when you're in that culture of not playing and you're there and you've always played in high school, you know, right. you're all league quarterback at, at a division one high school with a lot of kids and a big division, uh, you know, kind of hurts your, your ego a little bit. Yeah. And uh, again, my mom, kind of my anchor with all this, you know, I kind of told her, Hey, I may want to go try something else. And, she she said, okay, you have my full support. If you want to go try something else, just don't ask me for anything. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll stay and work it out. And ended up being, you know, uh, the best decision of my life. You know, Division three offered the opportunity to play multiple sports for me. You know, five years of football because I redshirted, four years of basketball, and ended up playing a year of baseball. Um, oh, again, wow. sticking it out with with every sport and 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 being on the teams was priceless. You, you just said something that most college athletes don't do. You play three college sports. Yeah. And that's, I mean, let alone two, you rarely see. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's a very active school year. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that would be a dream of mine. I have no, no talent whatsoever to get, um, you know, basketball or, uh, or football. That's why, you know, I, People like, um, you know, Sam, who you and I, uh, Sam Gay, who you, you and I know mutually, you know, I always got made fun of for how passionate I was about intramural sports yeah. in grad school because it was like living out that dream of, uh, you <laughs> know, I know. Hoping. Yeah. I mean, I played four years of basketball in high school and, um, you know, to this day, uh, I, you know, I love baseball, but basketball, it was that hype, you know, getting ready uh, for that game. You know, we may have been four and 20, but. Still yeah. felt like I was, you know, we were going to win each game. Yeah. Um, you know, if you ask my mom, she would tell you, you know, she loved watching me play baseball, but she enjoyed watching me play basketball more. But yeah. digressing there, um, what I want to go back and I'll ask you, you, you talk about this and um, it's something for, you know, athletes going into uh, college, not, and not, not only just going to college, but people that also transfer, but it's the red shirt you talked about. I redshirted. Uh, we've talked to a few people on the podcast um, who've redshirted. I want you to kind of talk about that if you can. You know, the redshirt word at first is scary for people because they're like, oh, I'm not good enough for the team. Yeah. And, you know, uh, 
it's hard for a young athlete initially, but when I look back, best decision I ever made, it allowed me to, to grow. What was it like for you? Yeah. So, you know, football wise, I was, there was a senior quarterback and a sophomore quarterback, both very good, both better than me, both more mature, both uh, physically more ready. Uh, both had a better grasp on the offense. Um, and you don't see all those things back then because, you know, in my head, I can make every throw. I'm throwing it a mile. I'm putting it on the money. I'm good too, right? Like, right. But that doesn't always equate to um, playing time, you know. And so being in the, the third quarterback role, um, I had to, you know, I had to run the scout team um, and do those things and, and, and really put in perspective, you know, I had to learn some things, and that was tough. Um, and so the option came, well, you know, you're probably not going to play unless there's a, an injury. Um, you know, maybe we'll just redshirt you and that will give you an opportunity to come back for a fifth year and play. Uh, you know, and in your head when you're young and naive, you think like, you know, I'd probably be in the NFL by then. But if <laughs> sure, if, you know, if that's what you guys are thinking. Yeah. Then, you know, let me talk to my agent. Uh, my mom, my agent, my five brothers probably at the time. I didn't know who I was leaning <laughs> on, but, um, you know, you think, okay, well that works. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a hard decision because you, you do, um, equate it with not being good enough or not being ready. And, uh, sometimes that is the case, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it may be. Sometimes it is the case. Uh, other times it's just opportunity based. There's guys ahead of you that are, are going to get the nod and by and large older, more experienced guys are always going to get the opportunity ahead of you. And as a coach now, that's what I'm doing 10 out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. And freshman or the young guy comes and gets the opportunity. He comes and gets the opportunity, but uh, first dibs is going to the senior who's been in the program and the sophomore who's been in the program. That's, that's how you develop good programs that sustain winning for, uh, for years on years on years. And, and, and that's as a coach now, that's what I want to be a part of. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, you put in your time, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's in, you know, in, in the work world and everything, you know, someone, uh, you know, you, you get a job and you're, you're just new to that job. And there's someone that's been there three or four years. Like they, they know their way around now. Yeah. You have your time to prove like you can accelerate quickly, but, they're not going to say, Hey, like you're the guy now. And right. you know, this guy's been here five years. So he, he worked, you know, he worked his, 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 or he or her worked their way up. Uh, talking about coaching, let's, um, we'll kind of transition into, uh, you now as a coach, um, from all that player experience, um, a little bit of, of your history of coaching. Um, you were at Sac City or Sac, sorry, San Francisco city. Um, yeah college and then uh were you at usf or you you went from um city straight to washington state um yeah so working backwards washington state we just finished our first year so at san francisco city last year with uh, justin LeBall and a very good junior college basketball program um prior to that i was uh eybl coach uh, on the nike eybl circuit 
What's EYBL stand for? It's Elite Youth Basketball League. So okay. it's like Nike, Nike Travel AAU Circuit. I was a okay. head coach of the 17U. Where was that based out of? Portland team. So Nike puts it on, but what it is is it's it's um, I don't know how many teams they have now, but there's a select number of elite teams around the country. So between the U.S. and Canada, and um, a lot of times it's geared around. Uh, you know, bigger cities, Houston, Portland, L.A., uh, anywhere where there's really good players. And when I say really good players, just about every team uh, we played against, including my own, probably had an NBA player oh, wow. uh, two on the team. But these guys, again, are, are uh, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors to be in high school at the time. And how are, how are those players being selected or getting that exposure to, to be on these teams? How does that, that work? Yeah, a lot of times it's, I mean, it's a tryout. You know, these AAU teams do tryouts. Um, it's not terribly hard to spot an NBA player as a junior. Um, you know, a lot of times they're, they're bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. Um, you know, the keen eye can really pick out kind of the diamond in the rough, guys mm-hmm. that have potential that can get there. And so ultimately these teams are put together and there's a, uh, uh, there's a 16-game uh, or excuse me, a, I think it's a 14 game schedule. And then there's a, a tournament at the end that you're trying to get to called Peach Jam, which is like basically like the NCAA tournament. You're, oh, wow. you're seated and then you play. And the ultimate goal is to win the Peach Jam championship, which is uh, an elite, elite thing to do. Okay. Um, so that, where do they have that at? Is that in Portland or? In Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. Okay. And they call it the Peace Jam every year. Makes yeah. sense now. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool opportunity. That's awesome. Um, so you, you've you coached there. Um, what else? I kind of interrupted you on your path. but Yeah, no, I, you know, I was able to spend some time, um, you know, in, in Milwaukee on the Bucks training camp staff and free agent staff. I had coached a kid whose dad was a uh, assistant in the um, organization and he opened the door for me to get in there with Jake Kidd and them. Um, had a little bit of experience with the USA basketball um, and working with their uh, World Cup team. Uh, and then before that, I was at uh, Portland State as an assistant for two years. Okay. Um, before that, I was at Casper College in Wyoming, which is a national junior college for a year. Before that, San Francisco with Rex Walters as a um, uh, graduate manager. And then before that, I was at Willamette University as an assistant for a few years, which is my alma mater, Division three school. Okay. And that, that leads me to a big question I've had is um, we've talked a lot about the football recruiting process and you go into Willamette for football. And now we're here, you're a basketball coach. Um, yeah. We should touch on that. what happened that transition period. I know you said you played multi, you're playing football, basketball, and a little bit of baseball at Willamette. What made you, you know, want to go the basketball coach route as opposed to football, um, yeah. which you were originally recruited for? Yeah, that's a good question. You know what? I coached football right after I played for a year at my alma mater as well, and I coached basketball. Um, and it kind of honestly came down to the basketball coach at Willamette. Um, basketball was always my favorite, right? Always the most passionate about that. Um, but the basketball coach at Willamette presented a little bit better of an opportunity in terms of like coaching and responsibility and just a path for me to be really, really involved, which is ultimately, I think, everybody's goal. Right. 
Um, so I did that for a few years. And then, you know, my, my boss at the time, a guy by the name of Kip Ione, he sent me to a couple of development things around the country um, where I was involved with some high-level coaches, you know, coaches at Michigan State, Alabama, Texas, Baylor, um, Cal, things like that. And I being around these guys, again, being in the room and being around the level of uh, coach and the level of player you want to be, very important. I was around these coaches, and I thought to myself, like, A, I can do that. I can get there. B, like, you know, hearing what these guys do, how they do it, and their path, that's something I think I really, really enjoy. So uh, I just I took the step of looking for opportunities and, and did like a little tour where I, I paid money out of my own pocket to go to Texas, um, to go to Baylor, to go to uh, Alabama, go to Michigan State. And, you know, you, I, I took guys up that said, hey, if you ever need anything, call me. Like I took them up on that. Not a lot of people do. And so I called them say, hey, I'm in town. Don't want to take too much time, but maybe we can do lunch or something. And I did that at all those places, and that just gave me more confidence and more connections to the industry to say, hey, I can do this. And ultimately, I landed at San Francisco with Rex Walters, uh, ex-NBA player, who gave me an opportunity to come in and work for free and, and just learn. And, and I, I mean, I had a basketball on one hand, a towel on the other, and uh, you wouldn't find anybody – uh, in the country faster than me getting to that sweat when a guy fell to get that sweat. <laughs> so took a lot of pride in the opportunity and, you know, ultimately it's really paid off. I mean, that, that story, I mean, that is like your grassroots, like really get, I mean, you going out and doing that is, is I think a big piece that aside from, no, actually it, it is applicable to even like young athletes that are trying to get recruited um, for you. I think what you said is is a great thing for like someone that's just graduating college and understanding like it takes work to like, you got to set up the meetings, you got to network. It's just not going to happen. It's not someone's going to walk, you know, you walk off that stage and someone's not holding a job offer for you and saying like, Hey, you're the guy, like you're not getting recruited. Technically a lot of times, like you get recruited for an athlete. Now I know some people, there are headhunters out there for companies. Um, but Right. You know what you're saying, like even as a, as an athlete going through, you know, it's about exposure. It's about reaching out to people um, and not expecting anything of it, just trying to make that connection. And then from that connection, you build out all these other ones. And then, I mean, you're, you're a, a story right here in front of us or uh, hearing uh, on the podcast um, of how hard work turns out to, you know, you now at Washington state and, I mean, it's just going to continue for you. Um, So, you know, that, that all rooted you, you've chosen your, your basketball route. You're now at Washington state uh, in your second year, obviously a very different second year with everything that's going on um, with COVID somewhat ending the, your first NCAA year at Washington state abruptly. Um, I think we had, you told me earlier before we started this, uh, Washington state actually played the very last game of the whole NCAA season. Once they shut everything down because of COVID. Yeah. Um, we're national champions. That's national champions. Exactly. Uh, with, a, with a win over Colorado. Uh, so now as a coach at Washington state, as a recruiting coordinator, let's kind of talk a, a little bit about that process um, of, you know, what is the recruiting process for, 
for basketball and, um, you know, how, at what age do you start the recruiting process and then how, how over the course really of a, of a person's high school years, does it come to uh, initial offer, um, or letters and then that initial offer, like, Hey, you're the one that we want. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's levels to kind of your question, right? In terms of, you know, first and foremost, like you have to be good enough, right? Like that's the priority is being good enough. And if you're good enough, majority of the time, somebody's going to find you. And obviously you get good enough by um, preparing yourself, uh, you know, really working on your game, expanding and improving over time. Um, so in terms of like recruiting for us, we really, really would like to focus regionally, right? Like we right. want to bring the best players from the Northwest, excuse me, to Washington State. So that being said, if you're a kid in Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, Spokane, Eugene, Salem, whatever it may be, like we we want to recruit you. Like we want you to be and work and be good enough to play at the Pac-12 level. Um, and be a student athlete at Washington State. Um, you know, we're, re- we're, we're international with our recruiting. Um, our priority, obviously, would be to, um, you know, to, to, to do it regionally. But, uh, you know, I think we have six guys from other countries on our team right now. Um, and, again, we're using relationships. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find guys. There's different platforms. There's scouting services that we subscribe to. I think we subscribe to probably over 20 scouting services. And a lot of times those are regional. So you got a guy in Arizona that um, does write-ups on the best players there. Usually even sometimes all the players there and he'll rate them, right? So he thinks you're a high major player. Uh, He thinks you're a mid-major plus player. So the earlier you can get involved, the better. Um, because, um, you know, a lot of times you can, uh, you can develop some hype, if you will, and that can carry you on through high school as a kid that's pretty good. Um, ultimately, you have to develop and improve. Uh, but the earlier you can get involved in a scene where there's exposure, the better, because, um, you know, we're leaning on scouts. Um, you know, we're obviously leaning on our eyes and relationships as well. But again, in order to be seen by us or in the mix with us, like you have to be in touch with a relationship of ours that we uh, know and trust. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other relationships that we know that we might not trust in terms <laughs> of players. And I only say that to say that, you know, they might not have, um, you know, overselling. They might be somebody that oversells guys. Yeah, you got to take a look this, take a look at this kid. Those guys kind of get get X'd out of the equation quickly because we get thousands of kids that we look at. I mean, I get probably 25, 50 emails a day from kids and from coaches that we have to sift through. And I try really, really hard to get back to everybody and just say, Hey, um, yes, you know, this looks like something may be of interest or no, you know, we're not recruiting um, Bulgaria at the moment, whatever it may be, or, you know, Maybe so look at these options. Coaches and, and athletes are emailing you, you know, what on your end, what's what's that best approach when someone's emailing you like and honestly, you know, a lot of us have dream, you know, as a young athlete, you have these big name schools and that you hope, you know, I always wanted to play at Stanford, but 
I knew that wouldn't happen. And, you know, what is for you the best thing that gets your attention? And you have, like you said, you have only so much time during the day and so many inquiries coming in. What gets your eye and what, what are important factors of someone that's reaching out? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to be connected to somebody. Uh, you know, you talk about the EYBL teams. Uh, guys that are connected to the EYBL teams, and the Adidas and the Under Armour teams and things like that, and have played on that circuit where the best competition is, um, they ultimately pop out. So if the head coach of the EYBL team calls me and says, hey, I got this kid you might want to look at, like I'm all ears because by and large, those guys that have made that team that are good enough to be on that team are good enough to play in the Pac-12. You know, there's charts and graphs all over about how many uh, EYBL, Adidas, Under Armour alums are at the Pac-12 level or the high major level or the Division I level. Um, So again, getting into one of those relationships and it's a little watered down. AAU is a little watered down because there's a million teams. Right. Everybody's connected in some sort of fashion. Um, but just finding those trusted relationships of, um, you know, guys that guys that we trust and, and programs that we trust and that we know about, uh, you know, we'll find guys that are connected um, in those circles also, but probably the path of, of least resistance is being associated with, you know, a good high school program, uh, a good AAU program, and not everybody has those opportunities. You know, a lot of times the the top high school programs can be uh, private schools. You know, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't afford a private school in high school. I wanted to go to one. I wanted to go to St. Mary's. My mom went to St. Mary's, but you know we couldn't afford it. You mm-hmm. know, um, so I went to Franklin, very public school, and you know, had to find my own path there and luckily had enough help and, and support to do that. Um, so really just taking chances. And if you, if you're in high school, middle school, whatever it may be, um, just no excuses, you know, finding ways to get to Washington state's, uh, elite camp, you know, finding ways to get on campus and and work your way into the coach's office and introduce yourself and have some film ready, you know, like, doing crazy things like that, like essentially I did in coaching, like I had no business being in Rick Barnes' office at Texas or being in Izzo's house uh, at Michigan State because he's got a coaching party going on. But I just, I kind of like forced my way in there. You know I mean? I was invited. I didn't break in. (laughs) And your listeners, but, you know, I kind of like, hey, yeah, I'm coming. You know, you don't want to wear out your welcome too much, but just be cordial enough to to kind of create your own path by um, not being fearful of putting yourself out there. So creating the path, and there's two things I actually want to ask you about what you've talked about. One, since it's what you just talked about, you talked about like, okay, getting to an elite camp at Washington state. Um, And uh, you know, a question I have for a lot of times uh, for coaches and people, it's, you know, we have all these choices as youth athletes or parents to go to camps, to go to um, you know, tournaments that are uh, supposed to be in front of scouts and it's trying to find what the right one is. Um, is this a camp that's actually going to give me visibility or is this just a summer camp that's to improve some skills, but I'm not really, there's no really recruiting going on. It's just, you know, something that's offered. So you say get to an elite Washington state camp, you know, how does someone get to an elite Washington state camp? Are they invited or can you just go? 
Yeah, we, I mean, we invite people, but naturally it's opened up to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has to be opened up to everybody um, in order to host it. And so, you know, we, we invite our, you know, 100 plus guys that we want to see. A lot of times it's younger guys. And then we have a handful of people that, again, they're trying to bust the door down and make their way there. Um, funny what camps have value and what don't. Again, it's almost always going to be beneficial to find and have a trusted relationship with somebody who knows this information, right? A lot of people claim to, um, not everybody does, but somebody who really does. And a lot of times you can look at their history of, you know, they've helped players and and things of that nature. Um, but finding somebody who knows that, Hey, you know, what level do you think, uh, I can play at, you know, do you think I can be a division two player, division three player? And, and, uh, you know, there's some organizations that won't tell you, but they'll just ask mom to keep paying money and you might not be a, uh, you might not be a college player of right. many sorts. You know, you might be a division two player and they may be selling the division one dream. Unfortunately, those things really happen. So just finding a small trusted circle of people who can say, Hey, does it make sense for me to go to Washington state camp? Um, or even emailing a coach, coach, here's my film. You know, a lot of people won't get back to you. And that's just a reality. We get flooded with emails. I try really hard to get back to everybody in some fashion. Or another coach, here's my email. Here's my tape. Like, you know, do I have a chance to play at Washington state? And, you know, I try to be as honest as possible, dream big and, mm-hmm. and bust doors down and create opportunities. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I don't want to waste anybody's time and or money or resources saying, yeah, come on up. And, you know, mom's got to scramble to get some money to get them there. You know, that's not fair and or okay. And I would want the truth if I was a Right. And even if, you know, you're giving that response to someone like, hey, you're not the right fit right now. Let's say they're a high school athlete. That doesn't mean you can't find your way back to a Pac-12 or Washington State. There's other opportunities in JUCO. Like maybe you just sprout, you know, I'm I'm a big Niner fan. And you have Ayuk, who they just drafted in the first round. And yeah. he was a Sierra College guy. You know, he didn't he didn't go to, um, uh, wow, I just went, but he didn't go to uh, ASU you know, right. right out of high school, he went to JUCO. Yeah. Maybe he is, maybe he, if I don't, I don't know any about this, but if he had sent his film as a, uh, a senior in high school and they're like, Hey, not right now, but in two years he developed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, it, the honesty part will save a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, getting let down or, you know, being led to think that, you know, there's something there, but it's just a, a money grab. Um, yeah. One other thing uh, I want to ask is is going back um, to high school AAU. You know, you talked about uh, both of those. Um, what what is the weight if there is any kind of weight placed on AAU versus high school and you know recruiting with those two different um, places? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question. You have your high schools um, that are that are always going to stick out, right? Your, your, uh, your Bishop Gorman's, your modern days, your Bishop O'Dowd's Oakland, your, you know, your Jesuits in Sacramento, your grants, you know, there's some programs that are going to stick out and almost always have a couple division one players, you know, that we're going to, to lean on. What AAU does is usually the better AAU teams traditionally 
um, have the better players. So when it comes time for us to go out and watch, you know, we're going to, again, the EYBL events or the events that have, uh, you know, the, the shoe brand teams, because a lot of times, not always, they have the best players. There's some other programs that aren't affiliated with shoe brands that have really good players too. Um, and we'll go out and watch them. Um, so just, you know, trying to filter it as best as possible. And not everybody can make the best teams. You know, not everybody can make the, the EYBL teams. That doesn't mean you're not good enough. You know, those mm-hmm. teams miss on student athletes and players all the time that, you know, go play for a no-name uh, team and they're a high major player. Like it happens all the time. We have guys on our team currently that we're in that situation. In, in a sense, that's kind of what we're looking for because you're under the radar and you're kind of, you know, you're not being seen as much by the, the other schools in our league and the other schools at the Power Five level. So, you know, just being seen, the AAU creates a platform where coaches go in and watch and we watch a lot of games and we watch players again. If you can make it on a team with a Division One player or two that you know for sure, Get on that team because you're going to get seen, kind of like you and I got seen. Right. Uh, you know, and again, they may not be there for you, but you know, there has been occasions where I've been watching someone else and see somebody else and like them for us sometimes better, or like them for a, a, a you know a, a another coach at another program that I have a relationship with. Uh, you know, so that happens. Division one uh, basketball. How many scholarships are available? How many guys are on the roster? Yeah, so 13 is the allotted number that all Division I uh, programs get scholarship-wise. Now, do those have to be full ride for each person, oh, yeah. or can you – it's not divvied up. So baseball is 11.7 divvied amongst 30 guys. Yeah. If no, they div- want. Division One is 13 and – <laughs> excuse me, at, 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 at every Division One, I. I know at Division II um, – it's different every place. Some are fully funded. You know, you take a spot like Western Oregon. I think they had like six scholarships that they split up um, amongst their guys and they factor in uh, academic aid, FAFSA money and things okay. like that. Nature. So you can get to um, close to a full ride at some of those spots. So 13 scholarship spots. And then we usually have between two and four uh, walk-on spots, which means they're paying for school. They're not on scholarship. So walk-ons, Let, let's, let's talk about walk-ons. What, how, how can I be a walk-on if I'm not offered a scholarship, but I still get the opportunity to be a walk-on um, at a division one school? You know, I, the little thing that I'll give from my example is the only thing that I understand. I'm a big Kansas Jayhawk fan for no good reason. Just as a kid, I chose them. Um, yeah. They were good at basketball. And when I was a JUCO transfer, um, I applied to a few schools in case, you know, baseball, I didn't get a scholarship for some reason. Um, and I applied to Kansas. I got in, emailed the coach, surprisingly got an answer for them. I think I probably did send some um, film of myself. And they said, hey, we don't have any scholarship opportunities, but you can be a walk-on. Yeah. Uh, I ended up getting a nice scholarship to a Division One school, so that didn't happen. Uh, what's the process like for your walk-ons, which I feel maybe slightly different than um, baseball where you have a lot more guys on the roster. Yeah. A lot of times with walk-ons, the, um, you know, we prefer to have walk-ons from uh, the state, from in-state, you know, mm-hmm. guys that, um, you know, our, our walk-ons come with a lot of responsibility. You know, you're going to be a scout team 
uh, player. So you're essentially going to emulate what the guy from uh, Oregon and Oregon State is going to do during that week of preparation. Uh, you have to do a high-level job of that. Um, you know, they're tough positions because majority of the time there isn't any playing time associated with them or an opportunity to play. And that's usually made clear at the beginning. Like as a walk-on, your job is to help us in practice, um, to be kind of a leader off the court, to be a leader in the classroom, um, and just to be a good uh, a good teammate that contributes to the team uh, in a uh, uh, practice and preparation type role. Um, that being said, we do, you know, we travel to walk-ons with us um, as part of kind of their um, repayment for, for doing the dirty work and doing kind of the jobs that mm-hmm. they do um, without getting a lot of praise. You know, we try and take a couple on the road with us when we travel and go on road trips and they get to be a part of that and be a part of, uh, you know, the, the road trip experience, which is really fun. Yeah. That's going to be cool. And I mean, are these walk-ons, are they just, are they already just coming to the school to attend it? And then they they have like some basketball talent that they had in high school and they come to you guys and say, Hey, can I be part of the um, the scout team or are they actively trying to gain a spot on the roster? Yeah, it works both ways. I mean, we'll, we'll, when things, you know, our plan this year was do an open tryout because, again, we probably have 50 to 100 uh, current students who are interested in being walk-ons. Um, and, again, that role is not for everybody because it's, 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 a, it's a role where you have to swallow your pride and you're uh, essentially coming in to do grunt work. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get a lot of praise for it. And you really can't have an expectation of like being the starting point guard. Right. Because, um, again, dream big and you want to put in full effort. But uh, sometimes that can mess up your approach day to day if you're thinking, you know, and I'm going to beat out four scholarship guys. Um, that being said, we have uh, this past year, we had a walk on earn a scholarship, you know. Um, he was a Division One transfer walk-on, so he was kind of already a leg above. But um, there's situations where it's set up ahead of time where, hey, so-and-so is going to come. He's going to walk on. Was a good high school player. We're aware of him. Probably not a Pac-12 player, but can come help the team out. And then most schools will give you an opportunity and do a walk-on tryout where you can you can try out amongst a bunch of guys and, and try and compete for one or two spots. Okay. Huh. That's a pretty cool little opportunity. I mean, uh, yeah, you never know what it can turn into. Yeah, it's cool if your mind's right and you're you're focused on the the task and the actual role and doing a good job in that role. You just you never know what can happen. You see walk-ons get scholarships all the time. I say you always see those videos on like social media, like the guy getting the scholarship and stuff, and it obviously worked out. And they put their hard hard work in and they earned it. Yeah. Um, Well. Coming into like the end of this this podcast, I guess uh, this is an open-ended question for you. If there's anything that you know I didn't I didn't talk about, just always uh, want to ask. You know, what advice or anything you could offer that that young athlete um, that's looking for those aspirations of becoming a college basketball player? Um, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, working very very hard and being good enough is almost certainly. Um, the number one thing you need to do, right? In order to get an opportunity, you kind of have to be prepared for an opportunity. Um, and then finding those relationships that you can lean on for help because it it takes help. 
Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there that will help you and, and let it be known what you're trying to do. You know, it's the same thing in any industry, really. Like, it's hard for people and the resources around you to assist you if they don't know exactly what your goal is and where you're trying to get to. Um, you know, and then, again, taking chances, going to camps, working, mowing lawns, finding ways to get money to get to places to go visit unofficially. And, you know, if it's emailing the video coordinator or, you know, one of those guys on the support staff and say, hey, I want to come by, see the facility. And again, you'll get turned down a lot and not responded to, but just really, really pushing through and, 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 and trying to track down that right opportunity and those right resources to, to assist you. Um, and then again, I keep saying it, but, uh, the more you can be around the level of coach and player, uh, that you want to be, uh, or be at, I think the better opportunities and, and chances you'll have to, to, to crack in there. And then finally, just accepting, um, you know, if D1's the dream and it doesn't happen, like not being too prideful not to to go to NAI Division Two or Division Three and, and figuring out a way to make that work, whether it's, you know, taking out loans or academic money, whatever it may be. If that's the dream and that's the goal, I mean, it, it, it worked for me. You know, I, I took out some, some loans. I had most to pay for. I was really fortunate, but I would do it all over again because of the relationships that I was able to forge playing on all those teams. There's nothing better than um, playing on a college team and traveling. And uh, Ty, you know, those guys, after you're done with college, those are going to be your best friends. Yeah. You know, yeah. high school guys, I kind of, I, I still speak to quite a few of them, but the guys I'm closest to are the guys I played in college with. I'm in their weddings. They're in, you know, they're in my wedding. Um, I'm at their births of their kids and they're in businesses and talking to me about businesses and things like that. It's, it's, it's remarkable, you know, and you just, you don't know what opportunities you're going to have until you're able to get on one of those teams, division one, division two, NAI, D3. So whatever you need to do to make it happen, starts with yourself. Most of the time, uh, make it happen. Go find the opportunity. Don't, don't sit around thinking the opportunity is going to find you. Yeah. A lot of times it won't. You know, I, I was sitting back and thinking it was going to happen and it didn't really happen like that. So go, go find the opportunity and, and, and break down those doors and, and create those opportunities for yourself. No. Yep. All right. Uh, speed round coming into tell in, do this with all our guests. Um, I'm bad at this. I'm a little nervous, but let's uh, do it. it's all right. It's a quick one, but uh, favorite uh, athlete role model growing up. Ooh, I'm going to say uh, Jerry Rice. All right. That's my guy right there. I did so many, many book reports on him growing up. I never always uh, thought I uh, practiced catching a football with bricks, but I didn't really have any bricks hanging around like Jerry. He shook shook my hand and back when they had training camp at university of the Pacific, I lived three blocks away. Ooh, All right. As soon as my mom let me walk out of the house, I was there at 7am every day on my bike waiting for those guys to leave outside the dorm or pull back in from wherever they were at and shook my hand, JJ Stokes, all those guys, JJ but Jerry was kind of always the guy. All right. Uh, favorite moment ever in your sport that you, that you experienced playing. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, 
favorite moment of my own. And I'll give you, you could, there wasn't very many, Ty, so this should be pretty easy. (laughs) It could be you playing, it could be you coaching, whatever, whatever you want. I have a lot coaching. I'm going to do two, probably, you know, beating Oregon this year. They're number eight in the country. That was pretty fun. Uh, Beating Washington was twice. That was really fun. Personally, uh, probably uh, had a game winning catch. Pretty much as time expired in football against Puget Sound, we were down. Uh, it was like one of those like fairy tale bomb moments where the guy just threw it as hard as he could, as far as he could, and I kind of caught it in the back of the end zone. So you're a wide receiver. I I I started as a quarterback for three years and moved to wide receiver for my last two. Hey, give me a touchdown. It's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, favorite professional sports moment you've you've got to watch in your lifetime, witness. Not yeah. in person; it could be on TV. Just anything. Yeah, you know what i I was fortunate to be um, at a Broncos game with my wife when um, uh, Peyton broke the touchdown record. All right, it was pretty pretty special being at Mile High. People going nuts when he uh, when he finally broke it. That was a cool moment. Good yeah. old Peyton. My moment yeah. would have been um, this year, uh, but it, it fell about seven minutes short of a Super Bowl win for the 49ers. Oh, yeah. So it turned into the, the saddest moment of my... <laughs> that was dreadful. My wife is a huge 49er fan. She used to cheer for them. She still oh, nice. does some stuff with them. I mean, she's not over it. No, I'm I'm not either. I, I think I've watched, <laughs> I think I've watched every Niner touchdown, you know, 14 times over. I actually got to the point now where uh, I'm not going to watch any more of last year's <laughs> games. Just wait for the next season. But um, Mike Plank, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Talk to us about uh, you know what it was like for you through the recruiting process and now as a coach at Washington State yeah. and um, what people can expect or how they can find that opportunity. Um, as they're looking to get to that next level. So uh, wishing you the best of luck in the next season, hoping that everything, you know, gets to happen um, with everything that's going on and with COVID right now. Um, but uh, really looking forward to seeing uh, high expectations for the uh, top, no, the third top recruiting class <laughs> in the Pac-12 and the 28th, right, in the nation. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. So on paper, high expectations, but yeah. um, looking forward to watching you guys and, and your future success. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Ty. I appreciate the time. Let's do it again. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete Podcast. Check us out at makingandathlete.com. Check us out Subscribe to our podcast on or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode. Be sure to catch our next episode.